This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Territory Story Podcast. I'm your host, Peter. Uh, well, no, I'm not Peter. I'm Leon, actually. <laughs> Leon Logan-Nathan. Uh, but I do have a co-host. Uh, his name is Peter Gowers. How are you, Pete? I'm good, mate. How are you? <laughs> 190-odd episodes uh, and they can still fumble this thing. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> don't worry, you'll get there by the time we reach 200. Right? <laughs> it happens. It happens to the best of us. Well, mate, um, you know, I don't know when this podcast is going to come out, hopefully later on this week, but uh, oh, my goodness, if the airwaves and the news waves are not crammed with uh, mm. the remnants of our podcast last yeah, Saturday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and... And I think I said to you the other day, I'm actually, um, I'm very much looking forward to the next weekend edition because, um, you know, we, we, we follow our good friend Walshie and he gives us the dirt on all these things. And uh, uh, our other friends at the NT News have, have uh, claimed dibs on this story. So I'll be interested to see what Walshie's retort is to that when we speak to him. Well, it happened today. He launched another nuclear missile. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in the form of naming the, the, the guy on the fifth floor. Right. Uh, and that was promptly, I noted, uh, taken up by the NT News uh, later on. Okay. Yeah, right. So um, I think, uh, well, put it this way, Walshie will have a lot to talk about this, <laughs> this weekend. <laughs> Correct. Well, this Thursday for us at least. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I think... Well, it's going to be interesting. I, what, I, what I like about talking with him is that he he just gives you a bit of the background thinking to everything, you know, mm. which makes it really intriguing. Yeah, correct. Yeah, look, I think, um, you know, from that story what I got out of it was the restraint that he had to uh, show uh, and, you know, even when others sort of leapt into it, he was still saying, nah, it's not, it's not quite right. We don't have everything we need just yet. So I really, um, I really respected that and thought, well, I think that's the way you have to handle it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, <clears throat> my estimation of him as a journalist has certainly gone up over the course of our conversations with him. And um, mm. I'm still waiting for the uh, parliament, or at least the uh, government, to get on board and and uh, you know honour their own code of conduct. I mean, they're swinging that code of conduct around and chopping Mark uh, Turner up with that. Yeah, uh, they should actually, you know, if it was a mirror, have a good look at it. And, Absolutely, and, and realise that they they have um, they have some uh, amends amends to do in mm. relation to this. There's never been double standards in politics, though, Leon. You know that. Yeah, I mean, I'm helping my son with uh, with Macbeth at the moment. Uh, it's not one that I did at school. <laughs> I, I did uh, Julius Caesar and and Romeo and Juliet. So uh, I've been I've been studying Macbeth to try and get him interested in it. Mm. It's, it. I just I feel so bad for kids having to do Shakespeare, mate, because yeah. it's, <laughs> it's so hard. You know, at the yes. best of times, to actually yes. read ye old English. That's right. Uh, let alone to try and you know make sense of it and apply it to the modern day. But yeah, me, mate, you know? particularly in in an era where uh, they grew up with um, you know responding with emojis and uh, two dots, it means a whole word to them or a whole sentence. <laughs> I just trying to interpret that stuff. I know, I know. In fact, I was talking to my youngest son at, at dinner tonight and. I was just explaining to him, I said, you know, it's 35 years ago this month that I started uni. Wow. Uh, and I said to him, I said, mate, when I went to uni, there was no such thing as the internet. Yeah, you know, correct. It, it wasn't even a twinkle in the eye of anyone. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's such a, a foreign concept for kids to understand. Um, just as simple as um, we were at the school yesterday for parent-teacher interviews and in one of the rooms, they had the old school telephone sitting up on a shelf. And we, Fiona and I both looked at each other and said, I bet you most of them have no idea what that thing is. There's a, there's a great um, video that I saw on Facebook or TikTok or one of those. And they gave a phone to uh, a bunch of, they were about 18 years old. And they said, uh, 
make a phone call with this. They didn't know how to do it. It was <laughs> so funny to watch them try to figure it out. <laughs> well, I remember it would have been probably oh, maybe 10, 12 years ago, I said to one of my kids, you know, in a fit of frustration, stop carrying on like a broken record. <laughs> and they yeah. looked at me and they said, what's a record, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Very true. Uh, yeah. Anyway, mate, look, um, AJ Kulatunga has been hard at work again. Uh, yep, and as he always. Has, he has uh, made a recommendation and we have once again taken away. Taking taken him up on that recommendation. Mm. So AJ, thanks very much, mate. Hope you're listening from uh, Melbourne. And so I would like to introduce you. You don't know him. I actually do know him, although I haven't seen him for a good. I was just talking about fifteen odd years at least, if not more. Uh, I'd like to introduce you and our listeners to Mr. Devon Savaratnam. Devon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Leon. Hey, Peter, how are you? Uh, so glad to be here. Uh, it's a big honour to be amongst the uh, you know, giants. Well, podcast world. <laughs> like I said, mate, this is a backyard operation. So I wouldn't put us up on too much of a pedestal. We're like to fall right off. <laughs> True territory <laughs> session. That's it. <laughs> yeah, so um, what's your current position, Devin? Uh, my current position, well, I mean, uh, I did what everyone does when they turn 50, and that is to, like, change careers completely, you know, and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know total madness. Uh, I, I think, haven't got I, uh, that memo yet, but anyway. Well, I mean, like, you know, <laughs> m- most, most guys will buy a Ferrari or a Harley Davidson or something in a midlife crisis, but, uh, you know, for me, I'd run my uh, software consulting business for so many years, which I enjoyed, but, uh, you know, I told my wife, look, this is just, I'm getting a bit stale and bored. I'm just going to try something, you know, completely different and out, out of left field. So I decided to sell my uh, my software practice, uh, consulting practice, and uh, and start a, a startup basically. So an online um, startup, uh, a la you know the Silicon Valley boys. I decided to write a uh, an online HR platform um, called HR Partner, and uh, so I started writing that about five years ago. So you know basically starting from scratch again, like not taking a salary for like about two to three years, and just you know living on rice and beans while I you know built a startup and and built a, a team around that. And uh, yeah, look at a struggle town for a, for a few years there. And so you know, there's many times where I turned around and thought, you know, this is this is madness. What, what 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 have I done? But you know, I've got a very supportive family who stood behind me. And uh, yeah, I think in the last like 12 months, probably, I think we've just you know gone gangbusters. We've now got over 1,700 customers in 70 different countries around the world. Wow. Uh, we've got some big names on board. You know, we've got the biggest glass manufacturer in the UK as one of our clients. We've got a division of the United Nations as one of our clients. Uh, we've got. Another customer that I can't mention their name, but they run the biggest fleet of street mapping cars in the world. So they're a customer of ours. <laughs> uh, that's all I can say about uh, them. But, yeah, look. And, and so, how long have you been running this business? For about five years now, I think. So it's been right. five years. Yeah, and it was like I said, it was a slow grind for a while there. But you know, for us, actually, ironically, COVID was was a boon because yes. Um, yes. come last year, like you know, all these businesses suddenly found they had all this their, their team working from home, working remotely, and they needed some sort of HR management tool. So we would just happen to be you know in the right place at the right time, or you know, right place at the wrong time, depending on which way you look at it. Uh, and uh, we just, you know, just went gangbusters. Like I said, we just got, you know, so many new clients just jumping on board and just, uh, yeah, um, we had to grow. We had to hire more people. Um, and, yeah, and so, you know, we're still in that, in that growth phase. I'm still sort of trying to cope with that. We've got a new developer starting actually this week, tomorrow, I'm hoping, yeah, they'll start, um, and just to try and, yeah, build it up and, and, and go again. Uh, but, but this is this is so different from my last business. I mean, the last business, you know, was very you know, focused on, on local clientele and things like that. As you know, I think you know you, you were a client of mine many years ago as well, Leon. So, uh, but you know, I decided my wife and I decided. You know, now our kids are getting older. We want to travel a bit more. So, I wanted to build a business that we can travel. So, you know, our team is completely remote. Like we got um, staff in in France, India, Ukraine, uh, Houston, Texas, uh, uh, everywhere basically uh, around the world. And the, the okay, we're going to talk a, yeah. we'll, we'll talk a lot more in, in detail about that. But take us back to the beginning, mate. Uh, I, look, you know, and as much as I know you, I actually don't know you. So, uh, <laughs> were you even born? Were you, were you even born in Australia? No, no. I actually was born in Malaysia. So I was born and, and grew oh, up in, in Malaysia. Me. 
Right. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So in the Sri Lankan origins, my parents from Sri Lanka originally. But, you right. know, so uh, that we have that connection as well. Abs- absolutely. So yeah, did so. your roots trace back to Jaffna then with a name like that? Yeah, actually. Well, Dad's from a little village just outside Jaffna, I believe. So, so Pete can't, would can't... probably related, mate. <laughs> <laughs> way, way back. You know, Most likely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you are probably, yeah, the brother from another mother somewhere. Yeah, um but yeah, so so the origins of Sri Lanka. But you know, I was born in Malaysia, uh, in a little fishing village on the east coast in Kuala Tringana, and, and Dad worked oh, for the um, east coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Dad worked in the in the hospital in the medical service in in, um, in Malaysia. So we moved around a heck of a lot. Uh, we lived near, near Butterworth and Penang and, and KL and everywhere. Well, so what was he a doctor or something? He was a doctor. Yeah, yeah. yeah so Dad, okay, Dad was right. a doctor. So yeah, he uh, grew up in Sri Lanka, like I said, you know, and most people don't know his background. Like he actually came from a really poor background. Like he's the oldest of 12 kids, uh, right. born, born basically in poverty. And he basically had to raise his family because his mom couldn't cope with like, you know, 12 children. Uh, but he was smart enough in school that he won the, one of the first Colombo planned scholarships to go and study medicine. And he chose to go to Adelaide to, to study. And, and then going to Adelaide, he just, uh-huh. he, he fell in love with, with Australia. Like he just loved Australia, loved the people, loved the place. And so, you know, when, when he went back to Malaysia eventually, uh, and you know, we were born and everything else, he just wanted to move back to Australia. So back in 1978, when I was about 12 years old, dad decided, right, we're making the big move. So he bought a medical practice here in, in Darwin. Uh, oh, so how come he chose Darwin? That's well, really uh, well. Basically, it was, there was the only place he could get a medical practice. Like he wanted to go to Adelaide, Adelaide or Melbourne, or you know, one of the big cities. Uh, but when he looked around at that, back then, '78, for a practice to, to buy, uh, the only one that was available was like here in Darwin. So he said, oh, the plan is we'll go to Darwin a couple of years, and then you know, then we'll, we'll move on down down south somewhere." But you know, as always happens, you know, 40 years later, <laughs> uh, here we are still <laughs> still in Darwin. So. So uh, now that you mentioned that your dad's a doctor, all of a sudden my brain is uh, is pinging Dr. Savaratnam. That Dr. Savaratnam, yeah, yeah. So he, he, <laughs> he delivered most of Darwin. Between him and Dr. Manji, back, back in the, uh, you know, the 70s and 80s and 90s, um, they delivered right. thousands of babies. So even today, oh, like, right. I mean, dad retired like 20 years ago and he passed away like, you know, 10 years ago. Right. Uh, but even today I'll walk down the, the shops and all that and people will come up and say, you know, oh, your dad delivered me or your, or your dad saved my life or, or, you know, things like that. So his legacy is just like, you know, huge. Uh, and something that I try and aspire to, but you know, it's going to be an impossible goal because you know, he's, like I said, he's just like, gosh, life. that is that's really interesting. I don't, I, I may have met him, but I just don't have any recollection of that because I mean, you know, you generally meet a lot of these doctors at these Sri Lankan functions and things like that, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and the names, you know, but like I said, well known. So if I introduce myself now, people immediately say, oh, yeah, you're, you're Dr. Sebi's son, you know? So, right. uh, although now it's changing because now my son's getting like, you know, more famous uh, than, than me now. So now it's like, oh, yeah, Jordan's dad because he's a, he's a musician and he's traveled the world and everything else and he's doing Really? Awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. So, um, so seventy-eight, isn't that interesting? That's the year we came to Australia as well. Wow! So, wow! Gosh, gosh. Yes, a lot in common. There, there you uh, go. Just yeah. a few years older than me. That's all. So. Um. <laughs> Wow. So, so any brothers and sisters? Yes, I've got, I've got two sisters, so an older and a younger sister. We're both both here. They've got their fam- they're, they're married, have kids here and everything else. So like all our families here, my wife's fa- our family is still here. Well, one of her sisters is here, one's in Perth. But, uh, yeah, generally, like, you know, the whole family is just all So, so your sisters, what do they do? Uh, they're both in the police force, would you believe? So they, uh, one, 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 one's working in Katrina as a police auxiliary, the other one's in the firearms department, uh, managing right. all the firearms licences. Um, so, yeah, they've been there for many, many years in the, in the police. They love it. Uh, but uh, me, I just went IT. I, I decided to change change tech. Well, actually, yeah. I've changed careers several times. I used to be a commercial pilot, like before before I went into IT. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what flying for whom? Oh, well, actually, I never ended up flying for a proper airline. Like I did some charter work and all that. But back in '85, when I did my commercial license down in down in Adelaide. Um, I came back to Darwin and there was just no flying jobs. That was just before the pilot strike. So there was oh. just like no work available. So uh, at, that, at that time, Dad also bought like one of the first IBM PCs, you know, sold in Australia. He bought it <laughs> and he had it in his, in his practice. And I used to just go in there and just muck around with it. And then and the Irvine brothers, like Rod and Brad Irvine, who ran, you know, the local computer shop here, the IBM dealership, they um, saw me like mucking around this and, and doing all sorts of you know, stuff on the computer and go, oh, this guy, you know, sort of knows what he's doing. You're going to come work for us. And I went, well, it's a safer job than, you know, flying around the, the bush here in a, in a rusty plane. So I decided, yeah, I'll just change tack and just stuck with IT um, since that day. Right. 
Yeah. And so, I mean, what was Darwin like? I mean, okay, in the, okay so you came over in 78. Like, 78, yeah. I actually have so, really clear, I mean, my memory is like really bad. Like I can't even tell you what I had for breakfast this morning, but I have really vivid memories of stepping off that corner 747 and Darwin Tarmac. Um, and, you know, like everyone, I think as soon as I walked out that door on top of the air stairs, my first impression was, you know, someone's just put a wet hot sack over you. <laughs> <laughs> but you came from Malaysia, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. You know, so that, the heat didn't bother me. What, what really stood out in my mind was how flat everything was it was just so flat and, oh, and yeah, you know yeah, and the yeah. wide expanse like standing atop that air stair and you know that was 78 so just that you know not long after the cyclone really um and so there were no trees and most houses were just you know um floorboards and stilts and things like that so just looking out over that this landscape was just like a broad like a big fat hot pancake really it was just um, <laughs> yeah, and did, you, just, did your mum look at your dad and go what the hell have you just done <laughs> <laughs> actually i don't even know what she was thinking i was just so so involved in just like trying to remember like i was trying to consciously like because i need it's just a momentous you know sp- uh, step stepping stone in my life yeah. uh, that i had to remember you know and, and just taking everything so i was just conscious of just what i was seeing uh and then you know we walked across the tarmac this was the old tin terminal of course yes, you know, the yes. old one so you know we walked in there and uh i just remember you know seeing the the customs guy who was stamping our passports he was this massive massive built australian guy and you know me this 12 year old skinny sri lankan kid looking up going wow these aussies are all giants you know they're all huge <laughs> and you know just and i remember being you know really worried like and how am i going to survive in this new country because you know everyone here is just huge and, mm. and how am i going to cope uh but yeah we, we made it to the, the end of the day but but you know, sort of precursor to this like funny story like back in um christmas 1974 you know we, we were back in taiping in, in, in malaysia yeah. And uh, it was a couple of days after Christmas and we were over at a neighbor's house like, having Christmas drinks and things. And uh, I remember just sitting there like an impressionable young kid. I was only about eight then, uh, listening to all these adults talking about this place called Darwin that hit, was hit by the cyclone called you know, Cyclone Tracy and it's just, you know, wiped out, destroyed the whole town. And I remember being, you know, ominous tones and everything else and I got really freaked out. So I remember running home. And in my bedroom, I had a map of, of the uh, the world on my uh, on my wall. And I remember grabbing a map pin. I went up to the map and I found Darwin. I stuck a pin in it and said, I'm never, ever going to go to that place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I made this solemn vow that I'm never going there. And then four years later, of course, there we are. And I'm stepping off that plane. So. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Well, I, I can relate to a lot of that. I mean, I was, I mean, obviously, I, I didn't, um, wasn't, um, Quite as old as you, so I didn't have quite. But but in terms of being able to remember things from the past, I, I have the same issue as you. I can't remember what I did yesterday or even today, but but twenty years ago or fifty, you know, thirty years ago, very very clear memories. So. Yeah, I find that you know if I force myself to like take that Kodak moment in my in my brain, I, I tend to remember. Like I, I still remember the sound of the plane wheels rattling on the runway in KL Airport as we're taking off to leave, you know, and it's like, okay, this is the, you know, last time we're going to be, you know, Malaysians, we're going to be leaving yes. for this new life. And uh, it's the, things like that. And then just, and I mean, we got to our place at, because uh, Dad had a, fl- a flat in Gothenburg Crescent, it's Stuart Park back then. Right. Uh, and I remember, you know, going there and the first thing he did was got out some, you know, Monte Cristo biscuits. And I remember the taste. And I, and oh, yeah. Really <laughs> Love the taste of this Monte Cristo biscuits, but that's my memory. <laughs> And iced coffee with Monte Cristo biscuits and, and iced coffee. Yeah, and right. I just remember those two, and, and that, that memory is so clear, and that taste always brings back that memory of sitting at that kitchen table. Interesting. Know, this, this first few hours in, in, in Australia. But there's uh, one thing I wanted to ask you is I mean, your dad was from Sri Lanka. How did he end up in Malaysia? I, can't, I don't know the full story. I think after he finished his studies in um, um, in Adelaide, he went back to Malaysia because I think he had a registrarship at a, at a, at a hospital there. And that's when, you know, he, uh, well, he didn't meet mum. It was actually an arranged marriage. So mum and dad's was actually uh, an of arranged course. marriage, uh, yes. as they do. And <laughs> but was she from Sri Lanka or Malaysia? Yeah, no, she was, well, she's Sri, Lanka, Sri Lankan by origin. I think they moved to KL to Saramban, um, oh, you know, when yes. she was still a baby, I think. So, right. yeah, so she basically grew up in, in Malaysia. Right. Uh, and her dad was a doctor, so he was well to do and everything else. Well, uh, so then your dad ticked the box, of course. So that was exactly because <laughs> you know, he, was, he was a doctor too. So it was right, okay, let's get them matched up. Uh, which is funny because dad actually had a sweetheart in, in Adelaide. Uh, you know, he had, a, he had a, a Aussie girl that he met, but he, Aussie girl. Know, being the good Sri Lankan son that he was, he just yes. you know, went back and, and married. I actually did meet uh, uh, the, his girlfriend like years later because he stayed friends with her, her brother. Right. And uh, when I was, because I, I was, I went to boarding school in Adelaide, so you know, on some long weekends I used to go and stay with them and i remember the first time i met her like she walked up to me she looked me up and down she goes you're nowhere near as handsome as your father so <laughs> <laughs> uh, i was uh, shot down in flames 
not, not for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so talking about all this stuff, I got just a bit of a segue. Have you ever watched any of the YouTube stuff, uh, Comedy Court? No, I haven't actually. No. All right. Okay. So after this, if you remind me, I'll, I'll send you the link. Send us the link. I'm going go to love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because you clearly have the same, uh, you know, uh, feelings and, um, you know, thoughts and, and you understand the cult, the Malaysian culture in a way that this comedy, I, I tell you, when I watched it, I was just in stitches. For me, it was the funniest thing I've ever seen on YouTube, I've, but it would mean nothing to yeah. most other people in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be cool. I'll, I'll, do, I'll do that. Because I do miss, you know, some aspects of the culture. I love the food. Like, you know, I've gone back to Singapore a few times and, I, you know, it's, the first thing I do is just go out to the, the markets and just get, you know, the street food. And I'm, we're lucky in Darwin too. Like, you know, we've got that here too. Like, I can go and get my rotis and things like that. that I, so what, what, in 78, what, what, I mean, were you the only Sri Lankans in Darwin? Pretty much, yeah. I remember in school and all that. Like, I was probably like the only Sri Lankan kid. I went to St. John's for a couple of years and went into middle school there and yeah I remember being like about the only Sri Lankan kid and even when I went to boarding school in Adelaide there were only like two Indian kids in the whole school you know uh, back then I think now it's changed there's more, mm. more mix of like Asian and, and Indian uh, kids there but, and so how did your mother cope with uh, you know the lack of spices and all that sort of stuff uh, to cook curries I think she found it hard. Like, you know, back then, 78, you know, there, there's nothing really. They, you know, we didn't have, like, you know, I don't, don't think when Asian importers was there. Um, so uh, she, she did struggle. And so she had to, like, Australianize a lot of her cooking. And so, yeah, I think she ended up stopping, like, not cooking a lot of curries anymore. And she never sort of, you know, took it back up in earnest again, which is sad because I used to love, you know, some of her cooking. Um, so, uh, and, and as a result, I never really learned to cook Indian food, which is, you know, really crazy because people, you know, when they meet me, it's like, oh, Devin, you must cook a great curry. And I'm like, well, no, because uh, we basically, stop having like curries and things when we, when we moved here so which is a bit sad right um, so you finished high school and then uh, I did Became a commercial airline pilot. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. straight after I finished, uh, I went boarding school for year 10, 11, 12 down in, down in Adelaide. So I, I sort of grew to love Adelaide as well as like a second hometown. And then uh, I came back to Darwin for about a year. I did, I did a little bit of like um, university. Was I did accounting, I think, for like about a uh, half year. Then I decided I didn't like that. Then so I wanted to be a pilot. So I went back down to Adelaide uh, for a couple of years and sort of got a commercial pilot's license down there before I came back again. And yeah, like I said, so I came back in 85, 86, I think it was, and there was just no work. And so I ended up just dabbling on, on computer computers and realizing that I actually liked doing that and so uh, started to get just an ad hoc casual jobs from like dad's friends and things like that and then like I said I got hired by uh, the, uh, the local computer place and uh, just, just went from there so I worked there for about two or three years and then decided yeah this is, uh, you know, I like this so much that I just want to do it full time myself so I ended up leaving and, and they were really good they supported me leaving and, and starting my own business and then just yeah so since I've been like 20, 21. And what business was that, mate? What was it called? Uh, but the first one I had was just called you know, a, a DS Consulting, I think Devon Consulting or something for a couple of years. Then I had right. a, a partnership with another guy called Saber Systems for a few years. And then mm. I had uh, uh, Blaze Software. So Blaze Software. Blaze, yeah, that's yeah, the one. Yeah, so that's been going since 96, so like 25 years. So I've still got the company in the name, but I don't actually do like any consulting work, anything else anymore there. Uh, everything's now on, on you know, HR Partner, this new venture. Uh, I've just right. gone, gone all in on that. And, uh, and, and so how did you get to meet AJ? Oh, gosh, I think it was like at the um, Telstra Business Awards or something. Like, he, you know, he won all these youth awards in a back when he was a young, young whippersnapper. He was a keen, keen young. Uh, uh, businessman back then so uh, yeah I remember being seated at the table with him at some some awards night or something and you know the guy just wouldn't shut up he just kept he hasn't shut up since <laughs> no no I don't think he stopped talking since I've had so um <laughs> That, because that was he was also into IT, right? He started yeah, Black Magic. So he had Black Magic uh, Consulting, yeah. So you know, so so we sort of worked together a little bit. You know, we, we didn't sort of tread on each other's toes, but you know, we just sort of helped each other, gave each other advice. Uh, you know, I, I kept telling him like, don't do government work because it's you know going <laughs> to the red tape and the bureaucracy is just going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. And and I think he agreed with that eventually. Um, but yeah. uh, but no, no, he ran that with success for a while. Then he decided to go to the big smoke and you know, go down to Melbourne yeah. and, and uh, give it a shot down there. And I think it's been quite well. I think I saw on LinkedIn just yesterday. I think. He's he's being picked up by some big speaking companies to uh, do some gigs. So right. uh, I think he's doing uh, doing quite well. So obviously, yeah, we still stay in touch. And like, actually, he, he gives business advice to my son, uh, my musician's son, because my son actually lives in Melbourne normally. He's actually up here for COVID. He came back last year because of COVID, but he's going back again in a couple of months' time. So uh, AJ is like a you know like another uncle or another big brother to him. So yeah, <laughs> we'll uh, see how that goes. So. Um 
Your wife, you met her in Darwin? Yes, Samantha, my wife. Uh, yeah, we met her actually while well, I was working at the uh, government for the Le- Legislative Assembly. I was doing work for some of the MLAs in there and she was like doing a traineeship in there and we sort of bumped in and we decided, oh, you know, she's pretty cute. And uh, so <laughs> I, I, I uh, invited her out to go ballroom dancing with me. Uh, so it's a very, very unsubtle ploy to get to know her better. So we started ballroom dancing together and then basically, yeah, fell in love and then we got married back in back in 96. So she the same year I started Blaze. And what's her background? Um, she, well, uh, her family's in Australia, but her dad was uh, in, in uh, Papua New Guinea for a while. So she, she was actually born in Port Moresby before okay. they moved back to Darwin. So her dad, uh, Peter Little, he was the uh, registrar of the family court here for many years. Oh, right. um, but back uh, back in the day, he's you know long, long since retired. Uh, so he still lives like, not far from us, two streets away, and, you know, he visits every now and then and we go and see him and everything else. Uh, um, but, uh, yeah, so th- th- that's her background, really. She's uh, was doing a traineeship and then decided to uh, yeah, marry me and then um, be, be a house mom, raise our two boys. But now she's back at part-time work. Now she works at a local Kumon centre, like helping kids, and she does some tutoring here as well uh, at home uh, for you know, people who want to learn English and things like that. So, yeah, it's a good little lifestyle. So we try and keep it all, you know, at home because uh, I work from home and so, so does she most of the time. And so, you know, our kids, we wanted them not to grow up to be latchkey kids. We wanted them to be, you know, we wanted to be here when they came home from school and things like that. So I think we sort of achieved that because they just went to school up the road here in Essington. So, they, you know, she used to walk them there, walk them back when, when they were younger. Um, I mean, that's one a great thing. About, I mean, you guys have obviously done it because of uh, of the IT and, and the choices that you made. But i got to say, since COVID, I mean, a lot more parents are at home, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think in a lot of ways it's a good thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because, you know, we were realising, like, speaking to, like, friends, uh, you know, who've got kids and all that, you know, they're all saying the same thing. It's like, wow, you know, we didn't know so much about our kids' lives and, you know, we were, you know, we're much more engaged with them. We're much closer to them. And, and I think that's, that's good. Even though, you know, sometimes, you know, said they drive us crazy because we're all under the same roof as <laughs> seven type thing. Yeah. But for us, you know, I was, I was used to it. And, you know, I'm used to working from here. So, you know, for us, COVID didn't change anything for us. Yeah, like, you know, it was yeah. just all ops normal here because uh, I worked from home, you know, here and, uh, you know, I live in my little programming cave for, for many years. So, and, you know, all our team is remote. So we met on Zoom all the time anyway before COVID. So, you know, when, when COVID hit, like, we just, like, kept kept rolling. And uh, that's why we could adapt, I guess, the whole situation. Uh, and then when business picked up, you know, we were sort of uh, all geared up, ready to go. And, um, and it just worked for us, which is good. I mean, I hate saying that because I feel like one of those, pardon the pun, Leon, but I feel like one of those ambulance-chasing lawyers, you know, that, uh, you know, profit on other people's misery. But, uh, but you know. But we try to alleviate that because people have said, you know, oh, supply and demand, you should double your prices, Devin, you know, you make more money. But, you know, my partner and I have gone the other way. We've like, said, no, we're going to actually halve our prices and like, help people get on board, uh, you know, while their cash flow, you know, tight and things like that. We're going to try and help them to go. So we're trying to be a bit more altruistic about it. So what did Blaze actually do? I mean, I know oh, you we- built a website, although I honestly can't remember you doing that. It must have been before my time, mate. Uh, I think you just started uh, back in Border okay. back then, I think. Yeah, so right. it was sort of back, back then, I think. Um, but, you know, we, we did a variety of IT stuff, mainly um, selling accounting systems, like accounting software and, and payroll software and things like that, and, and writing, like, custom databases for businesses who wanted you know, custom-written software and things. That was our main gig. Uh, and, you know... Oh, the irony is, you know, we sold accounting systems, but I know I, I like hated accounting when I did it at uni, and I quit, and I and I just, you know, still to this day don't like accounting as per se. But what I did love was like talking to businesses and talking to business people, and then just finding out, you know, all the challenges they had and how they run their businesses and the innovative things they were doing, and that that was my, you know, that's what floated my boat. So, um, so yeah, so when I decided to sell that practice because, you know, I, me and accounting just got a bit too much. So I sold that practice, but I wanted to take all that knowledge that I built over that 25 years or so. And, uh, and I thought, you know, well, HR is, is one position because, you know, we're putting in all these payroll systems and people are saying that payroll is good, but we want to you know, manage training and manage performance reviews and all these other you know, HR things. So I thought, oh, and once again, I'm not, I'm not an HR person. I don't know the first thing about, you know, true HR as a, as a trained person would, but, I knew that I could build a system to help businesses, so I built it, built it, and, and we, you know, we end up hiring some HR people to actually, you know, do the consulting side. Uh, but you know, once again, I'm back in that zone where I can talk to business people, and you know, I'm meeting some, you know, it's fantastic businesses all over the world now, not just in Darwin. Uh, where you know, uh, one guy, one guy that signed up the other day, like he runs. Uh, yeah, remember Top Gun, the movie? You know, they have the, uh, the, <laughs> the that that aggressor squadron that that uh, combat that pretends to be the Russians and combats against the uh, the Americans. 
he actually that's actually all privatized in Europe. So there's a private company that that actually buys all his MIGs and, and F-16s and things, and they run an aggressor squadron. And so I was talking to this guy the other day, and being a, an ex-pilot as well, I was like just blown away talking to him about all the hardware that this guy's flown. And so he's yeah, they're one of our clients, and I did this this uh, NATO training squadron in in Germany. Um, so I'd love to like get, get there one day, like once COVID's over. I just want to travel the world again, meet all these you know clients that I've got all over the place, and just you know, go, go and just you know stick my nose into their businesses, see what they do. That's interesting. How um like how do you, like you said you don't know much about IT? Uh, sorry, HR. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide to go into HR? Um, just, just because I, you know, I knew how to build a, build build a solution around it. And I think that, that's one of the things that I realized, like when I started to be like write software and things. Like, you know, I found I had this like uh, you know, natural ability to like look at it like a business problem and then translate that into like you know, a, a data uh, a, um, situation, like a, a, an application or a database. Uh, and I, and I just found that was really natural to me to do that. So. So even though like I don't know HR, but I just know that people want you know they want to record things like you know onboarding and, and training certificates and uh, and you know performance reviews and you know reminders and things like that. So I knew I could build all that. Like, I, I had the knowledge to actually you know, bolt all that together and actually build an application that did all that. But you know then you know the legalities and the, the policies around HR. Like I didn't know about all those nitty gritty details, which is why you know we've hired someone there, our US based um, consultant is actually a fully trained like experienced HR manager. So she she does all that consulting side of things you know, for the for the legal aspects. But uh, I, I just do you know the actual heart, you know, technical side of things and actually build build the app and we just keep expanding the app out and uh, just making it do what our clients want it to do basically. Have you got formal uh, qualifications in writing software, David, or how did you learn to do it? Yeah, no, I just learned myself. I, I did do like one year of computer science here at the um, NTU. Well, back then it was still, I think, Diamond Community College or something back then. Um, so <laughs> I, did, I, did, I did like one year there. But then you know, at the same time, I was running my, my first home business and uh, it was just getting too busy. And so I decided like, to give, give away the, uh, the studies and just focus on, on the business side of things. Um, and just everything was just learned on, on the job, basically. I, I just Even today, like, you know, I'll go to YouTube and all these online learning sites and just try and keep myself up to date because it changes so, so frequently. Uh, and just try and learn because that, that's one of the things that I've always sort of vowed to myself to do is like never stop learning. You know, the day I stop mm. learning is the day they're going to nail me shut in that, uh, in that wooden box. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, you know, some, some days it is challenging, especially now as, as I get older. I'm not as fast and I can't code all night like I used to do when I was 20. But, mm. uh, but I try and, you know, make up for that by just the breadth of knowledge and just having, you know, having a team around me. Like I said, we just hired this uh, new programmer um, last week. Uh, and, you know, it's a very smart programmer, smarter than me. But, you know, as they say, you always got to hire people smarter than you, and uh, that's what I'm going to try and uh, live out. Um, because, yeah, because at the end of the day, you know, we want to build a business that enables us like to work from anywhere. As long as I've got this laptop here with me in, in a hotel room you know, in Europe or USA or whatever, you know, I can work. So hopefully once COVID, you know, it's all under control and we can start traveling. That, that's my goal because, you know, kids are getting older. They're going to be leaving home and... Yeah, uh, we want to be able to just move around. So still, probably call Darwin home and Darwin our home base. But uh, every now and then, just you know, spend three months in, in Hawaii or Bali or somewhere and just uh, work that way. Someone's got a laptop and Wi-Fi. You're okay. That's it. That's yeah. it. So. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. Mate, I'm still intrigued. Like, I mean, when I think about HR and software. Is it people soft, for example, comes to mind, although I have no idea what that is. Yeah, well, well that's the thing. A lot of these other, like, SAP and people soft and green tree, I mean, they're all this like big, uh, big name software. Like, you know, you, you wouldn't get much change out of a quarter of a million dollars if you implemented that. So, you know, they're, they're designed for those big corporates and, and, and large enterprises and, and not really for the small businesses who are struggling. And so we, I sort of saw a bit of a gap in the market there. It's like, okay, you know, so you've got these uh, small businesses which probably don't need HR, like, you know, the small mum and pop shops and things like that, you know, less than 10 people that don't need it. But there's a lot of these businesses in there which are, you know, 20 to 50 to 100 employees who are, you know, just probably too small to go for, for people soft and spend all that money. Uh, but also, you know, they've got enough people that they struggle to manage, you know, renewing apprentices certificates and things like that and, and keeping on top of all the, you know, HR needs and onboarding new people and stuff like that. So we saw a bit, bit of a gap there and we decided, right, that, that's where we're going to tackle just that mid-level market. 
How do you onboard a new person? Give me an just explain that. Ah, so you know, there's a lot of like compliance and things. So you know, like formal induction, inductions. Like a lot of American companies, especially, that there's a very formal process to to get you know, a, a like collecting all the tax forms and things. So that's in like step one is to get them to fill out all the proper tax forms, submit it, get it get it filed with the tax services, and then and then it's like you know doing an induction, like giving like a safety audit, make sure they know you know how, how things work in the warehouse and you know how, what places to avoid and what, what clothes to wear and things like that. Uh, and then it's just you know like other, other things like you know, scheduling a welcome lunch, they can meet their managers and meet the rest of the crew and uh, and just get people sort of in a, in, into into the company in a in a, in a very structured way, I guess. Uh, which is probably you know like I said for small business is not really a problem. Like you know you just start you know here's your desk, here's your computer, sit down. Here, here's Bob, you know who's sitting next to you, and then you sort of sort it out. But I think in, in bigger in a, in a bigger companies where you got like fifty hundred employees sort of scattered all over the place, it's a bit harder to get to know who's who and where you fit within the organisation. So our software sort of tends to help to do that to get people, you know, gives them a, a step sequence to get them on board and get them familiar with how the company works. And then reading policy manuals and, and answering questions to make sure they understand it uh, and all that sort of thing so it's uh yeah so like i said I, I didn't know how structured it was until i started talking to these businesses then when they told me like this is what they needed to do i thought oh i can actually like write the software to do that i, I can't tell them like exactly what to do but i can and i can I give them the framework to like you know put in what that what they needed mm. to do and then then off they go and do it so yeah so uh, does, does that have training built into it as well, Devin? Um, like- we we are talking to some learning management providers to like have like you know internal training as well, so they can do mm. like course curriculums and things to you know progress through their career pathway as the, uh, within the company. So yes, yeah, so we're building that on. We've got a whole recruitment platform that we just bolted on as well, so they can do their hiring through there and you know, post jobs to Indeed and Glassdoor and Seek, and then uh, you know sort out the applicants by qualifications and send them out you know messages to interviews and things like that. So yeah, so there's basically all that you know stuff related around managing your employees. Uh, we're trying to help with that. So with that employee one. Um- uh, it's become apparent to me recently, I probably should have known this a while ago, but there's a lot of companies now using essentially AI to weed out a lot of the applications before a human even sees them. Is that the sort of stuff that uh, you'll be progressing to as well? well? That's a really interesting question, actually. We've been asked about that and I've looked into that, but I have this like a bit of a still uh, an ethical dilemma with, with AI. Uh, I find it still a bit too immature technology and probably used very much as an excuse to like an exclude yeah. people uh, and, and things like that. So, uh, so. You know, as far as that, like people have said, like can, can we sort resumes using AI and machine learning to like pick out keywords and things like that? But for me, you know, I think you know, I want to try and bring the human back into human resources, like human relations, rather than the, you know make it so mechanical. Because uh, to me, I, you know, I'm looking at ways to try and make it more human specific rather than very you know, overly automated. Like we've been asked about you know doing facial recognitions for timesheets, like clocking in, clocking out, and things like that, and, and tracking, like you know, the screen tracking what the employees are doing, like in you know, recording yeah, the screens yeah. every time. But I've said, like, no, I'm not going to do that because that's, you know, getting to the next level of privacy invasion and things like that, which I'm not comfortable with. And so I think ethically I, I don't like to go down that way. Machine learning, I, I know, can be good. Like, we've got some aspects of that. Like, we've got a little bot that can actually understand plain English questions. Like, you know, when, when's Peter going to be back in the office? And then it'll, you know, say, oh, Peter's on annual leave. He'll be back on Friday. You know, that sort of thing. So we've got that in there as part of our sort of AI part of HR Partner. But as far as like you know, using it to categorize and sort people, I still feel a bit uncomfortable with that, and I don't know. But, you know the rest of the team is pretty keen and saying yes, and there's things that we should do because our competitors are doing it. But for me, I'm trying to say maybe our standout should be that we are more human centric rather than you know, AI centric. So yeah, it's an interesting dilemma, I'll, mm. and one that I'm. And so, and so, how did you like? How you said you started from scratch. Okay. Yeah. So, how did you? Who, who was like? Who was your first client? Was it someone local or international? Um, oh, it was a guy in Perth, I believe. Uh, but it t- took like about a year to get you know, our first customer on board, and that was you know, like I said, tough times because you know, I built the system. Well, it took me about three months just locking myself in the, in, the, in this room basically and just like coding out the first version of it, and then we released it out there, and we were just waiting for you know the deluge of customers, and it just never came <laughs> uh, because yeah, because you know once again, like I had twenty years experience of like selling locally to people here. Like, Going and sitting with them, talking to them about their business, and then you know, and doing the deal that way. You know, the, the Darwin stuff. You know, where you build that relationship. But when you do it online with someone, you know, over in Yugoslavia or you know, in California or whatever, you know, you just haven't got that luxury. And, uh, 
Uh, and so it was harder, like a lot harder than I thought it was. So we had to change so many things and then we had to look at, okay, maybe we have to use this Google ads to, you know, advertise and things and all these things that I hated. Uh, but yeah, so it was a long learning process. And then we eventually got there. We got our first customer. I still remember him. Uh, that's another memory. I remember that uh, getting that little notification that your first customer signed on. It's going fair. Who actually, uh, yeah, but it was a customer up and he, I guess he cancelled. I think he closed his business last year because of COVID. So he had to like cancel, which is uh, sad. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I remember him signing up. Uh, and then, then it took us like about another year to get up to like 10 customers, which is like another struggle. And hey, so once again, you know, every day you wake up and it's like, you know, and, this is, okay. and who is we at this stage? Is it just you oh, and uh, Well, yeah, basically, yeah, just us. Yeah, so we, I was sort of running it solo for, for many, many years. And then um, uh, then I met my current co-founder. Like she, she saw me on some Facebook business group and, and she sort of you know, contacted me and goes, hey, you know, I see you building this HR system. And, and she just built and sold a, 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 a big company here in Australia and then moved to France, she and her husband. And her husband was starting a new business over there. And she says, oh, look, you know, I want to get into a new business. Uh, can, I, can I buy into this one and, uh, and do it together? And because she had that experience of like building and marketing and selling a business, I thought, great, she's got the, you know, she got the street cred. So we said, yes, the sign sign here. And we became 50-50 partners, uh, Fiona and myself. And uh, yes, and then since then, it was just taken off. Like when, once she came on board, like we went from like, you know, 10, 20 customers up to over a thousand customers in a year. And then now wow. it's got about 1,700 now. So yeah, it's, uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, going, going well. That's uh, that's incredible. And so you sold the other business, Blaze, did you? Yeah. So another consultant from from Adelaide, actually from Melbourne, sorry, uh, decided he wanted to buy you know all my accounting and payroll customers and all that. So I said, fine, we signed the deal, and you know he paid me out over two years, which essentially gave me my my living sort of money yeah. for for two years. I put that back into you know just uh, uh, putting a roof over our heads and food on the table and things like that. Uh, and you know my, my wife Sam said she was so supportive. She took on like a two extra jobs, so she was working at three jobs at one stage part time to. You know, get the money coming in. So, like I said, these are things you do when normally when you're like, you know, 19, 20. You, know? <laughs> you don't do it when you're, when you're 10, 50. But mm. I, you know, I decided, nah, you know, this is something I want to try. To That is courageous, Devin, I got to tell you. <laughs> that is really courageous, you know. Some would say mad, but yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad it worked out. But you know, I had to make it work. Like I kept telling you know Sam and all my friends and all that. I said, look, uh, you know, I've got to make it work. I've got no other options now because you know I've gone all yeah. in. So, um, and meanwhile, you're raising two boys. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, they're a bit older by that, that stage, and they were supportive too. Like, you know, my, my son, like I said, he's a musician. So back when he's still, you know, thirteen or fourteen, he used to go down to the nightclub markets here and busk, and you know, bring some coin back and <laughs> put, it, put it into That's the family. That's good. <laughs> That's an amazing story, right? Yeah. yeah. And so I, I, I don't. I don't think I've ever heard him play. Jordan, you said his name. Yeah, Jordan Ravi. So if you go to yeah, Jordan Ravi Music, it's his social media channels. There, like he's been over to America, to LA, and he's, he's been on America's Got Talent. You know, he got a couple of standing ovations from Simon Cowell. And wow, you know, he, yeah, he was in Eurovision last year. He was in Eurovision Australia. He was in the top ten there. And uh, yeah, so he's you know been around the digs, and he's getting a name for himself. He's. Uh, did, did you hear about this guy, Pete? The name is familiar to me. Yeah, I just I, I can't place him because I don't play with live musicians often, but the name is definitely familiar. So I'm going to have a look after we finish this. Yeah, we've had so, a few yeah. musicians. Uh, we, we've had uh, <laughs> we Melanie Gray. In fact, she texted me yesterday. Uh, we've had um, Max Max Fredericks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know all those names. Yeah. Like I said, they've all sort of been in this in the scene. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so Jordan played at the uh, the New Year's gig down at the waterfront. He opened for Tones and I and all that down there. Oh wow! So, yeah. So, so what's his style? Sorry. What what style of music does oh, he play? A bit of everything, really. Mainly nowadays pop. Like he's a bit of a you know uh, the teeny bopper pop singer. Like he's got a lot of girls chasing him. Uh, <laughs> as, uh, as expect. Just like his granddad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's kids a generation, I think. That's, uh, this thing. Um, so uh, yeah, so he's uh, but but he has before that played like in heavy metal bands and then jazz bands and things like that. So he's pretty sort of multi very talented, uh, I guess. Um, yeah, he's basically living my childhood. Like I was in a band for a few years after I left between school and flying school. I was actually in a couple of bands. But you know, we just never got anywhere. So I'm just li- reliving my childhood vicariously through my son now. Right. So. And so, what about your other son? What's he up to? 
he's still in school, so year 12 this year, and uh, he's actually doing business because he's like, you know, seeing what I do, and he said, oh, Dad, and I mean, you retire, and maybe I'll take over, you know, your business. Yeah. <laughs> he's showing a bit of that, that now, so uh, he's studying business and, and doing year 12 now in, uh, at Essington College, and uh, yeah, and he's, uh, I think uh, he wants to try and go down that business path, but he's also, he's a freaky good drummer as well, but he just doesn't like the limelight, and so he stopped playing mu- music uh, a few years ago. And just uh, st- uh, stuck to the academic road, um, which is uh, you know it's sad in a way, but also good because I don't think drummers make as much money as you know singers and guitarists. And- <laughs> no, and they have to sit on the back of the bus too. <laughs> that's it, and all the gear they got to carry. In that's back. right. I think that's, that's the main thing that put him off is that carrying all those drums. That's gear exactly right. <laughs> but I thought with all this electronic stuff these days, it's not that hard, right? <laughs> you still got to carry stuff, Leon, and um, every band. Uh, delights in watching the drummer lift his own crap in and out while they're sitting back <laughs> having a drink and a chat to the ladies. <laughs> right. Okay. And uh, and uh, your nieces and nephews in that one as well? Yeah, yeah. So like I said, my, my sisters have both got a couple of kids each as well. So and, and we're all pretty close. Like we just caught up just the other night actually for a bit of a family get together dinner and things. And now Sri Lankan families do, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, so so mum's still here, but unfortunately mum's you know, got dementia at the moment, so she's you know, sort of a bit in and out of it. So you know, so we try and get together with her every now and then. We had her over here last last week. To, How old uh, is she? Now she's uh, eighty-three, I think right, now. Right. So and she's fit and healthy in every other way, except mentally. You know, her her, yeah. her memory is just just going. And she struggles to remember the boys. She sort of remembers me, but thank goodness so far. Right. But uh, she struggles to remember the boys sometimes, which is a bit sad. Uh, sort yeah. of going through going through that, but uh, but yeah, and I've got you know like a great bunch of uh, nephews and nieces, all sort of grown up now in their twenties and uh, sort of on the way to starting their own families and all that. Now it's great to watch, great to see them grow. But incredible and, that they're all in Darwin too. Hey, that's yeah, a- most of them have stayed. Yeah, like. I'll they're pretty much all Darwinites thing here and just raising families here and jobs here and running businesses here and things like that. So uh, it's good to see. I think it's one of those things. Like, you know, I've, I've gone away so many times, but I've come back. You know, it's just, just something about Darwin. It's just, just great. Even like I said, my, you know, our plans are to travel the world, but I think yeah. we'll still, you know, have the base here and we'll come back here because it's just... It's, it's a great place. I'm just surprised. I mean, besides the fact that we, caught, you know, we, we met, uh, you know, around I'm going to say circa two, 2004, because that's that's why I think it was, if yep. not 2005. Um, you know, we, we sort of fell out of contact. Yeah, and I'm surprised that. that we haven't actually sort of, you know, uh, the the circle, those Venn diagrams didn't cross again. You know, it, it, it is, but I think that that was more deliberately my my choice because because early on in my business, I was really active in a lot of these like uh, you know competitions and, and and seminars, and I used to go out there to all these you know, business events and things like that. But then eventually, I think you know being a programmer, I just you know used to sitting in my cave. I literally call it my programming cave, you know. So I sit here like a troll, just cutting code all the time, and I just sort of cut out from from going out to all these things and participating in all these. Because uh, mm-hmm. I think at one stage there, you were the part and Regional Business Association thing, and you try to get me to uh, join up and, and go there and do that. But uh, mm-hmm. I think by that stage, I was just like so insular. I just thought, no, nah, I'm just going to sit here and just uh, <laughs> you know do, do my thing. Uh, so like, I, unfortunately, I did miss out on a lot of life doing that. So I'm trying to make up for it in, uh, late, late in life, I think. Uh, well, let me give you a piece of advice that my uncle gave me uh, yesterday, I think, or maybe it was the day before. Yeah. Just, uh, he's in Perth and he just rang me out of the blue and – he, he had a heart attack at 58. Ooh, he's yeah. fine. He's fine. Yeah. Um, I'd be struggling to know how old he is now, sometime, somewhere in his 60s. But anyway, he said to me, he said, Leon, I'm going to tell you something. You're at the age now where you need to do everything that you want to do and just get on and do it. Uh, as, in, as in, you know, travel the world or whatever it is you want to do because – this window closes really quickly and you get to my age and then you are struggling to get it all done. So. Yeah, oh, look, so true, and I think that that's what sort of uh, pushed me to like reboot my life because, because mm-hmm. uh, you know, dad, dad retired like twenty years ago, but then uh, about three or four years after he retired, like, he wanted to travel the world and, and do all these things, but then about three or four years after he retired, he had a stroke, and then and then his health just degraded, and uh, two years after that, like you know, he passed away, 
Uh, and so, you know, I saw all that happen and I thought, wow, you know, like he, you know, he worked hard, like he worked like a Trojan for so many years, you know, getting up in the middle of the night to go and deliver babies and things like that without complaint. And it was just, you know, I was just saddened to see that, you know, because he wanted to travel the world. He had, you know, had all the resources to, available to him to go and do that. But you know, his health just like, bam, you know, just overnight, literally, like, you know, he just got the stroke and then it all changed. And uh, I, I saw all that happen and I thought, yeah, you know, I just want to enjoy life while I can enjoy life because, you know, mm. Even now at 54, 55, however, I can't remember how old I am now, but, uh, uh, you know, I'm realizing that, you know, physically I can't do half the things that I used to do, you know, in my <laughs> younger days. You know, the, the, the mind is willing, but the body is just like, no, sorry, you know, you're not going to do that. I had to so, give up indoor cricket. Yeah. When, uh, when the ball was hit right at me, I saw it coming. And, uh, I, I couldn't do anything about it, you know. I just couldn't get there in time. <laughs> well, there's a thing. See, I, you know, I used to play outdoor cricket a, a lot. And uh, actually, I was just listening to your interview with Clinton Hoffman the other day. I used to play cricket with, with Hoffy, you know, uh, right. back, back in the day at Tracy Village and all that. And, um, yeah, but I had to give all that away because, like I said, the, the, the mind is willing, but the body is like, you know, you just can't chase that ball. You just can't bowl as quick as you used to. And, yeah, so... I'm all about that, just trying to enjoy life, you know, while you can enjoy life, you know, pre-retirement. Like, I don't want to wait until retirement to do it. I want to do it now and, and build a business around me that can facilitate that. So, yeah. Fantastic. That's the goal. Well, mate, uh, I, I just, um, I'm so glad we caught up. And, uh, yeah, thank you, uh, AJ, for, uh, for reconnecting mm. me with uh, Devon. He's always suggesting good people, AJ, isn't he? He is, he is. Peter, I'm sorry I dominated the interview once That's again. Okay. Did, you, uh, did you have anything in particular you wanted to ask uh, Devon? No, it's okay. Um, I'm just happy to listen to the conversation. <laughs> I mean, I could talk about Sri Lanka, but neither of you lived there, so uh, I'm, I may have spent more time there than both of you. Well, I want to go back. I was talking to my boys and saying like, before they you know, really grow up and leave home and have their own families, I said, let's just do a family trip back there because I really want mm. to go back and, and you know, just to see where, where, my, where my roots are because I've still got some uncles and aunties back there. You know, obviously. Hey, okay, Devin, I'm going to tell you this, right? If you're going to do that, mate, yeah. uh, let me know because <laughs> you know, I'll come along because that's exactly what I want to do as well. And yeah. I've been yeah, talking about do. it for years. Let's just do this big like you know, trip. It's a charter just, a plane or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, I was looking at some some footage of Jaffna the other day, and I thought, I, I just, you know, it's like I, I can't even relate to it, mate. You know, it's because it's obviously, you know, a, a generation. Ah, yeah, because I, I went back to Sri Lanka once when I was about five or six, and I do have some memories of like going back to my my, my dad's parents' house back then. Right. There was no electricity, no running water. You know, they go and get water from the well. They had a cow there to get the milk from, and you know, it was just like really, yeah, you know, it was an eye opener for me as a, as a young kid. And I, but I've had friends go recently to Sri Lanka saying, look, it's just beautiful there now. It's a real t- tourist haven, and it's uh, you know, it's a gorgeous country. And so I think yeah, I'd like to go back and maybe you know, I, I think the the old building was now you know was destroyed in, in the war. I think there. My, uh, grand, great-grandparents' house. Right. But, uh, but I still got like, I said, uncles and aunties there, so I want to try and catch up and, and see what's going on. And just, Fantastic. Uh, All right, mate. Well, it's been great having you on. Uh, Thank you. I look forward to seeing you in person shortly, hopefully soon. We shall catch up for a beer or a coffee or something, <laughs> I think, at some stage now. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure having a chat today. So. Thanks for joining us, Devin. It was uh, good to get to know you and learn your story. Thank you. That was Devin Sabaratnam on the Territory Story podcast. We'll catch you again next time. You've been listening to the Territory Story podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story podcast on all leading podcasting platforms. The Territory Story podcast. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.